All right. Take your Bibles with me. And, and if you would, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This past couple of weeks in, in preparing to, to preach for pastor in his absence, and, and I think um, some, of the, some of the events of, of my last year, um, uh, some of the, the things that I've, I've endured over the last 14 months have caused me to, to really focus in and take a look at what life is really all about. And I think so often as, as God's children, it's very easy to get all wrapped up in what's happening around us and the things that, that occur in, in our everyday lives. But God has reminded me of some things lately, and the, the biggest thing he's reminded me of is it, it coincides with one of my favorite songs. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's golden shore, and I just can't feel at home in this world anymore. Don't turn there. I'll, I'll just read it to you. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul here is talking about um, uh, the, 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 the ministers and, and the good ministers. And in, in chapter 6 of Timothy, in verse 1, he 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 states, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own matters, masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So we see here that, that Paul is, is admonishing us to... to to teach those that God gives us opportunity that we are brethren. And as brethren, we are to, to treat one another with love and respect and, and, and such things. And then in verse 3, he says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, then he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. So there's, there's an entire segment of our society, uh, many of the religions of this world, in fact, teach that the more godly you are, the more gain you'll have the richer you'll be, the happier you'll be, and all these things. Uh, but Paul says, it says this in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, Paul says <clears throat> just being content to be the child of God and being content to have, have, have salvation and being content in the name and the person of Christ, that is great gain. Contentment in, in, in our life, knowing and trusting that God knows what's best for us and he will always give us those good things that we need. Uh, he goes on in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Uh, I've heard preachers say that you never see a U-Haul attached to the back of a, of a hearse. And, and we can't take anything with us. Uh, there's nothing... There's nothing I possess in intangible goods on this earth that will be going with me. Uh, verse 7, again, we brought nothing into this world, certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. And I think it's so important that we as, as God's children, as God's people, learn to be content with only those things that will be with us in eternity. Uh, large I, listen, I don't, I don't have to strive on this earth to have a big house. I think, I think we, we should all live as comfortably as we can. But I don't need to worry about that because God, Jesus Christ himself, is building a mansion for me in heaven. But the sad thing is it's a mansion that I'll really never live in because there's no night 
so I, I won't need any place to, to sleep. And all of the wonder of creation will be available to me, so why would I want to hang out in a house? And, and, and to show you that's just how worthless those things are. And, and, but anyway, that's not part of my message tonight. I was just, as I was sitting over there and singing the songs and, and looking out among the congregation and, and seeing all of you here and um, realizing the troubles and the burdens that life brings and realizing in reality those things are all nothing. They're not even worthy of our attention. They're not even worthy of our concern. We need to learn as God's children to, to worship, love, and honor God. And to love and worship and honor those that he has given us to be with us. Our children. Our grandchildren. You know, my grandson, since he's been about three years old, I, I, I don't think there's been more than maybe a handful of days when I haven't seen him. He hadn't been at my house and, and I get to goof around with him and my daughter is now on maternity leave and so I don't get to see him every day anymore and, and even though he's only in Katati to me it feels like he could he, he may as well just be in Australia or something you see there are too many there are too many important things for we as God's children, to occupy one moment of our thought over these things that, that fleet away, over possessions, over, over these types of things. They, they're not worthy of our attention. Let us focus on, on those things that we can bring with us, our loved ones, our children. If we, if we instruct our children in the ways of, of the Lord and they get saved, then we can bring them with us. But we won't bring very many other things. So let's, let's, let's focus our lives on those things. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And before I go too much further, uh, I was asked to ask for helpers, volunteers, to help uh, lift and, and stack away the pews uh, for the teen activity tomorrow evening, the lock-in. And uh, Jared's a brave man to lock himself in a building with with a bunch of teenagers, I'll tell you that much. But he needs some help, so if you could, after the service, some of you men, um, we could stack the pews and, and clear the floor uh, for their activity tomorrow night. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 25 through 29. And I really, really, I, I only want to look at one verse here, and that's verse 28. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We're going to talk tonight about the purpose in trials. So let's pray before we, we do anything else. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. And Father, what a privilege it is to serve you. What a privilege it is to dedicate our, our lives to, to, to preaching your word and witnessing uh, of your grace to instruct our children and to to be examples to our younger uh, to the younger generations that follow us what a great privilege it is that you have given us so tonight help us strengthen us help us to see the importance and see the value in the trials that we face and help us to endure so that you might be glorified thank you for these things now we ask you bless our time together in jesus name Amen. In Luke chapter 17, in verse 1, we read, Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. Trials and tribulations, persecutions, heartaches, all of these will come to every believer. Have you ever wondered however why we face these things have you ever wondered why god's children are are put under these these burdens and under these persecutions well in hebrews chapter 12 verses 6 through 11 we read for whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth if ye endure chastening god dealeth with you as with sons 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof we are all partakers, and I don't think this part is in what I'm reading, but just listen to this. If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The writer of Hebrews here asks the question, What son does the father not chasteneth? Now, when I was a boy, and my friends would come over, and we would get into mischief, as boys in my era did. I'm sure boys today don't do that. I'm sure the Petro boys never get into trouble. But in my day, when a bunch of boys got together, there was always some mischief. And when the mischief took place, Daddy came in. And daddy would whip me. Now, he wouldn't whip the other children. He'd send them home. But he would whip me. Well, why would he do that? Well, because they're not his sons. And he knew that it's not his place to chasten them. It's not his place to correct them. So he'd send them home. Sometimes I wished it was the other way around. Sometimes I wish he'd correct them and send me home to their place. But whom, whom the Father loves, he chastens. And he chastens him betimes, which means early and quickly. There are some very practical reasons why God chastens us. Now, one thing I want to interject here is please don't ever get the, don't get the attitude that God is punishing us. Um, your, your Heavenly Father doesn't punish you. Jesus died on the cross so that we might avoid judgment and punishment. He chastens us. You see, this, this world has the philosophy that if you whip a child, then, then you're punishing them, you're, you're, you're abusing them. But we need to understand that a father chastens. That may sometimes involve a spanking. Now, I've never had God bring his hand down and spank me. But I have received chastening of the Lord in my life, and you have also. So there are some very practical reasons why God chastens us, either directly or indirectly, by allowing us to face trials and tribulations from time to time. These trials serve to reveal our character or our lack thereof. They expose our weaknesses and our errors. They instruct us in truth. God does not allow them into our lives in order that they might destroy us. But rather, he uses these trials and chastenings. He uses them to purify our hearts and minds. He uses them to teach us and to instruct us. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3, we read, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So God purges us of faults in our life. He purges us of, of weaknesses. He purges us of, of sins that, that plague us. So we must learn to view the trials that we face as God's gracious working in us. We shouldn't look at it as, as God punishing us, but we should look at it as God chastening us, as God teaching and instructing us. In Romans chapter 5, 
and verses 1 through 5, we read, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. God, God allows these, these trials and these, these troubles into our life not to destroy us, but to strengthen us, to, to purify us. So with the time I have this evening, I ask that you give me the liberty for a few moments to remind us of the purposes and the benefits of trials. First of all, number one, when we look at trials, we need to realize that God allows them into our lives to strengthen our faith. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy Second Timothy, and we'll go to verse number one. Second Timothy, chapter one, and let's go to verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began." but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And, and in this passage of, of Scripture, Paul is, is speaking to us of the confidence and, and, and the faith that he has and that he obtained not by his own wisdom, but through the trying of his faith. Through the tribulations and persecutions he faced for the gospel's sake. Paul endured many trials and hardships in his service to the Lord. You're in 2 Timothy. Back up just a little bit to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Have a Bible drills evening tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'll begin reading at verse 22. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture tonight, and I'm going to ask you to turn to a lot of scripture tonight. And I think the best preacher and teacher is the Holy Spirit of God. So we'll let the Word of God preach to us tonight. And I'll just comment every now and then just to, so you don't forget I'm here. Okay? Let's begin at verse number 22. We read here, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more oft, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. In perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, 
in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Oh yes, Paul endured many, many trials and many suffering, much more than you or I will ever be called to endure. Yet despite all the suffering that Paul faced, he never lost his faith. In fact, all these things serve to strengthen his faith and his confidence in God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 5 and 7, I, I use this scripture in, in both of my messages this morning, both Sunday school and morning service. We read, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. In verse 6, he writes, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul acquired his spiritual strength and his confidence by facing and enduring the many trials we spoke of moments ago. Without these trials, he may have never accomplished all that he did for God. And this is why the Lord told us to rejoice in persecutions, to be glad when we face afflictions, because the fruit of facing trials is patience, endurance, and confidence. The only way you will ever truly learn that God is all you need is to come to the place in your life where God is all you have. So don't complain tonight. Do not get angry with the Lord when trouble comes. Rejoice and trust in the Lord to meet all of your needs. You ever hear of a, a leap of faith? This is what God wants you and I, his children, to do. Not to use human reasoning, not to apply uh, human rationale to to the problems and the issues we face, but to just trust him. To lean upon him. In your service to God, Do you feel like you're overwhelmed? Do you feel like there's just too much on you, that that you're so burdened, there's nothing nothing more you can take? Then lay it all at at the feet of Jesus. Come unto me, ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God wants you to try him. He wants you to prove him. And troubles. In the midst of trials, we come to the Lord and we... We, we offer him our burdens and we take upon ourselves his burdens. His burdens are light. His burdens uh, are, are easy to be entreated. Love your fellow, love your brethren. Witness for him. Serve the Lord with gladness. Worship and honor him. Don't worry about how you're going to feed your children tomorrow. Don't worry about how you're going to pay your rent. Don't worry about how you're going to f- put food in your house, what kind of clothes you've got, uh, where you, all these things. Don't worry about these things. The scripture tells us that God knows all things we need and he has promised to provide them. And God is someone we can trust. He's someone we can have confidence in. Just learn, to, just learn to trust the Lord. Do all you can in your life to serve and honor him and glorify him. And, and don't worry about the other things. Listen, over the years, I've had times when I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I've had times when we don't have food in the house. There have been times in my life when I don't know what I'm going to do next. But I do know who knows. I know that God knows. And it seems always, sometimes I ask the Lord, why do you have to wait so close? 
Now, couldn't we couldn't we have taken care of this a week ago, Lord? Why did it have to come to the very last minute? And I think he would say, because I've so much enjoyed over the last week, I've so much enjoyed how much you've needed me. You know, I'm a father, and when my children need me, that makes me feel so good. I I hope I never get to the point where the kids say, oh, we don't need you, Dad. I hope they always need me. Oh, no, I complain. I gripe sometimes. But I really, I really love when my children come to me and say, Dad, we need you to help us. But we won't learn these things unless we face the trials. Because if we, if we never come to the point where we're so desperately, we so desperately need the Father then we'll, we'll, we'll never experience the joy of God proving himself to us. So the, the first purpose in trial, I think, is to strengthen our faith. But then secondly, I think that God allows trials and tribulations into our life to teach us humility. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy, all the way back to the front, Deuteronomy, and we're going to go to chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want us to look at chapter 8, and we'll begin at verse 1, and we'll read the first three verses. We, we find here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee. And suffered thee to hunger, and feed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. For forty years the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness of Sinai. All the while God was teaching them. He was breaking their rebellious will. He was teaching them that there is nothing greater than God. It was not their wisdom. It was not their power. None of these led them out of captivity. It was not of themselves that they were to come to the promised land of Canaan as God had promised to Abraham. The thing these people lacked was humility before God. In Numbers chapter 13, I read from verses 31 through 33, But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the, uh, of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, God had commanded the people to go and to occupy the land. He promised them that he would go before them and that he would prepare the way. He promised them that he would fight for them. And they heard the Lord, but they didn't really believe him. They failed to trust in the will and power of God and looked unto their own strength to make their decision. Now, humility is not punishing yourself. It is not living in humiliation. Humility, as I said this morning, is seeing what 
and who you are. And acknowledging God's authority over us. And submitting to the will and purpose of God. And giving God the glory for everything in our lives. That is humility. Humility is realizing that it's not all about me. It's all about him. It's all about God. Humility is realizing that I can do nothing more than simply yield myself to the Lord in in all aspects of my life. This is humility. Now, Paul best explained humility in scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read, Paul states, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. In 2 Corinthians, he writes, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you Sometimes, um, when I was young, my mom used to sometimes tell me, you know what, you're getting a little too big for your britches. In other words, she's saying, you know, you better slow down and back up because you're not all you think you are. We forget that it is God that blesses us. And we begin to believe that it is we ourselves that deserve the credit for all that's done in our life. And it is then that we begin to face trials and hardships. And these trials and hardships will drive us to our knees and make us to remember the Lord and his righteousness. Through trials, God strengthens our faith. Through trials, God teaches us humility. And then thirdly tonight... Through trials, God uses trials to wean us from the world. To wean us from the world. In 1 John chapter 2, we read beginning at verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes... And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now the natural man loves the world and all of its allurements. He is drawn to the world because the world offers him all the pleasures man's heart can desire. The world offers him the lust of the flesh. And the lust of the flesh is everything you desire to do. I mean, the world says, listen, you want to do it? Then do it. Grab all the gusto you can. Just do it, baby. That's the world's philosophy. And and that is the lust of the flesh. But not only do we find the lust of the flesh, but also in the world we find the lust of the eyes. Now, what is this? Well, this is everything you desire to have. Whatever you want, you can get it. That's the world's philosophy. No one has a right to tell you you can't have it. No one has a a right to guilt trip you into not having it. It's everything you desire to have, the world wants you to to have. And then the third element in, in, in the world is the pride of life. Now, what is this? This is everything you desire to be. What was the first thing the Apostle Paul said unto the Lord after he saw him on the road to Damascus? Anybody know? He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul said, it doesn't matter, Lord, what I want to be. It doesn't matter what I want to do. It only matters, Lord, in what you want me to do. 
Now, this is a lesson to be learned by all of you young parents tonight, parents that have young children. You see, parents develop desires for their children. They want them to be doctors. They want them to be lawyers. Of course, they have selfish reasons because when they get older, they want their children to be able to provide for them. But have we ever stopped and said, what does God want my son to be? What does God want my daughter to do, to be? Well, we have to do more than just ask those questions. We have, to, we have to make sure that we are in the place of blessing. We have to make sure that we get our children in a church where God can reach their hearts, where he will speak to them. Where, and, and we need to be examples, as I, I spoke of this morning. We need to be examples in, in behavior, and we need to be examples in the way we conduct our lives so that our children will have encouragement, so they will have examples to look at. I mean, the best example they could have would be Jesus Christ, but we can't produce Jesus Christ in person here, but we can do the best we can to project his image unto them and unto those around us. So we must avoid these things of the world, and, and, and God often will use trouble to expose the world and its, and its hatred and, its, and all the things that it possesses. He will often use those trials to expose us to those things and, 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 and in so doing, wean us away from the world and closer to himself. Moses knew this. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Now the world promises all these things, but it is not able to deliver on those promises. The trials we face serve to prove to you that the world cannot bring you any joy or peace. Listen to me. The world will not, will not feed you when you are hungry. It will not clothe you when you are naked. It will not warm you when you are cold. It will not house you when you are destitute. There's only one source to find all these things and to find true joy and peace. And that source is Jesus. In John chapter 15 and verse 11, we read, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Again, in John chapter 14 and verse 27, Jesus stated, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Trials expose the lies and the inabilities of the world. They strengthen our confidence in the Lord while loosing the grip of the world on your heart and mind. Through trials, God strengthens our faith. Through trials, he teaches us humility. Through trials, he weans us from the world. And then fourthly, through the purpose in trials is to equip us to edify others. To equip us to edify others. In Hebrews chapter 4, we begin in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, in, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now tonight, we have the greatest example we could possibly desire. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus has every right tonight to expect us to live godly lives on this earth. For he himself has set the example. He hungered. He thirsted. He faced persecution. He was hated. He was despised. As I stated earlier, he had no place where to lay his head to sleep. Jesus, in his humanity, faced more trials than we could face in ten lifetimes. Yet, despite all of this... 
He cared for others more than he cared for himself. In Matthew chapter 27, we read, beginning at verse 39, And they that passed by reviled him. Now let me set the scene here. Jesus is hanging on the cross at this moment. And people are around. They're observing, watching what will happen. And then we pick it up at verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. You know, it makes my blood boil every time I read that, that, that men would have the audacity to, to say that unto the eternal God. But anyway, he took care of them himself. Verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. Now, I want to stop right there also, and I want to to say that's a very incorrect statement. And I'll explain why in just a moment. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. You see, Jesus suffered and endured the suffering of the cross for us. He suffered on our behalf. He demonstrated compassion for God's elect children. By his death on the cross, he has given hope to the hopeless. He has given strength to the weak. He has given courage to the feeble. He has given purpose to God's children. As we endure and face our trials... And then when God delivers us from these trials, we will then have gained the experience and confidence to help those among us who also face trials. You see, the statement of the man cited in Scripture who said he saved others himself he cannot save was was incorrect in this. Jesus could have saved himself. One of my favorite songs is is 10,000 Angels. How many of you have ever ever heard that song he could have called 10,000 angels but the song says he died alone for you and me Jesus chose to die he laid down his life for us but all of this is for naught unless we learn through our own trials, compassion for our fellow man. Unless we can put our own fears, our own sorrows, and our own troubles aside and focus on the needs of those around us, then none of what happened on the cross and none of, none of the trials we face will, will have the effect that God intended them to have. In Philippians chapter 2, We read, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, God often uses those around you to bless you. I've known people who have, who have gone to God and they've prayed, Lord, give me this, I need this, Father, help me with all of this, I need these things. And then people within his own church or, or, or Christian brothers will come to him and offer to help him. And Oh, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, you dummy. You've been praying for God to help you and he sends someone right to you. And you send them away. Because we're, we're waiting for some... We're waiting for a bundle of money to fall from the sky. Lord, you listening? Hello? We need to to learn to love each other and to be concerned for each other. We need to look to the needs of others. This is the way that God often blesses his people. I lost my place. Oh, here it is. Now let me let me close this up tonight. Let me let me tie up the loose ends.
Are you facing trials tonight? Or perhaps you've just gone through some trials and, 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 and now you're rejoicing in, in the fact that God has brought you out. And, or maybe, maybe, maybe trials are coming. Just over the horizon where you, you don't even know and see what you'll face. Well, let me just remind you, God is aware of every trial we face. Some may be brought upon us by God himself. Others may come as a result of our own failures and actions. But either way, let me state that there is a purpose in them. Through them, our faith will be strengthened. Through them, we learn humility and learn to depend upon God himself. Through them, we'll grow closer to the Lord and more distant from the world. Through them, we are instructed in wisdom and we are equipped with understanding so that we might help or edify other believers who are suffering also. So tonight, whether you are in the midst of trials, whether you've, you've just come through trials or whether trials are on their way, Let us learn to embrace the trials we face. Let us endure them knowing that God will use them for his glory. I want to close with this scripture. Turn with me, if you would, all the way back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading at verse number 35. Romans 8, beginning at verse number 35. We read here, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need to stop living our lives as if God doesn't exist. We need to stop using human reasoning to apply to our spiritual life. What is the worst possible thing tonight? What is the worst possible thing as a a believer that could happen to you? Well, the worst possible thing is that we would die. I, I can think of, well, maybe if we live and suffer, but you know what I mean. There's nothing that can separate us from God. There's nothing that can can cause God to stop loving us. All these things Paul talked about, none of them have any power over us. So as God's children, when we face trials, when we face trouble, let us do so with confidence and joy, knowing that no matter what happens, and let let me remind you, the three Hebrew children did get thrown into the fiery furnace. You, You remember that? God did throw them in, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the king did throw them in the furnace. Uh, Daniel did get cast, he was cast into the den of lions, was he not? He didn't stand outside the den and say, whew, boy, God got me out of that one, I didn't have to go in that, no, no, he went in there. He spent the whole night in there with ravenous lions. I'm sure that those lions were very hungry. 
but God saw him through it. There's nothing that you and I can face tonight that God does not control. We are safe in his hand. And if it's God's will that we suffer, then so be it. Let us, let us see the purposes and the suffering. And let us use those trials to strengthen our faith and, and, and to, to, to learn humility. All those things we talked about tonight. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We, we in America have become just, just corrupted. We, we have no idea anymore what it, what it really means to worship you. We, we, we don't really understand anymore how to live in holiness and how to walk in righteousness. Because, Father, we've, we've become indoctrinated into the world's way of thinking and, and to the philosophies that the world will teach us. But, Lord, we are your elect saints. You have chosen us. You have called us. You have redeemed us. And now, Father, I pray that we would yield ourselves to your spirit and that we would, that we would study, Father, and learn of, of the, the manner in, in which you want us to live. We, we can't do it without you. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. So we've come together tonight as a, as a group of believers, and we've opened our hearts to your word, and we've opened our mind to, to, to your Holy Spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill us with godly wisdom, that you would show us how to live, and, Father, that we would obey and we would submit. We're simply human flesh, but, Father, you have quickened us, and you now indwell us. So, Father, we yield ourselves to you and ask you to take, to take charge of our lives and guide us and lead us. Thank you for this time we've had tonight. Thank you for the truth of your word. may not always be pleasant to hear, but Father, when applied, it's always satisfying to the soul. Thank you, Father, for this evening and all those that are here. We ask you to bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen.